welcome to mini episode 226 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have three spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 26th of October, 2022. And story number one comes from Pete. I've been a police officer here in Michigan for almost 29 years and have collected a number of real life ghost stories from absolutely reliable sources, most of whom I've known personally for many years. Here is one from a fellow police officer. Chris served in the United States Air Force for a few years before becoming a cop. He was with the security forces. They are essentially the police department on an Air Force base, responsible for maintaining base security, making arrests, etc. Chris was stationed to Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii in the 1990s. Hickam was an army airfield when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, dragging the United States into the Second World War. Being a history buff, Chris was fascinated by the bullet holes in the sides of many of the buildings that were the result of the attack. They were never patched up, but left as a tribute to those who had lost their lives that day in December. Chris checked in with his security police unit on the base. There, he met the other troops in his squadron and was assigned his duties. The other security officers seemed happy that there was a new airman in the unit. As it turned out, the newest guy in the unit was always assigned the responsibility of locking up the administration building at the end of business hours. This included walking through the building making sure no one was left inside, turning lights off, setting the building alarm and locking all the exterior doors. For some reason, Chris explained, the other airmen were pretty happy to be rid of this assignment, though no one would exactly say why. It didn't take Chris long to figure it out for himself. One night, Chris was locking up the administration building, going through the routine of securing it for the night. Walking down one long corridor, he was passed by an airman carrying a duffel bag and making his way for the exit. Chris said nothing to him. After taking a few steps past the airman, Chris thought to himself, that wasn't a regulation uniform. And why was he carrying a duffel bag in the admin building? Turning around, Chris saw no one there. No one. And there wasn't any way that someone could have exited the building in the few seconds in which all this occurred. Chris described the ghostly airman's uniform as the olive drab dungarees worn by US troops during the Second World War, and not the camouflage worn in the 90s. The airman never looked at Chris, but only stared down the hallway, not even seeming to acknowledge his presence. Let's fast forward several years. I was teaching a course to a bunch of active duty Air Force troops at Michigan State University. I was an instructor in the School of Criminal Justice. At the end of my presentation, I mentioned that I collected real-life ghost stories and one of them concerned a particular building on Hickam Air Force Base, but I couldn't remember which one. One senior non-commissioned officer in the back of the class started nodding his head knowingly and said, The admin building. How hideous would it be, right, if you're going to your new job and you're like, oh, hey, everybody, you know, I'm new. Um, I suppose my duty is going to be the admin building, whatever that means. You're looking at your little sheet and everybody around you is like, whoo, thank fuck for that. Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah, good luck with that one. Enjoy it. Enjoy your enjoy your role in the death building. Sorry, what? I mean, enjoy your role in the admin building. Forget everything else I said. 
I would literally be like, oh great, I'm going to be haunted. I'm going to be immediately haunted by something. These are more of those stories as well that I just sort of fundamentally believe, you know. I think places like Pearl Harbor, for example, like what a traumatic incident to have occurred and the waves of impact of that, not just for people in the immediate vicinity, but like families, other soldiers, people who were just sort of generally afraid of what was coming, afraid of the war, afraid of being conscripted, afraid of having to go somewhere and fight and potentially never coming home. Like those moments in time are so fraught with tension and fear and death and negative energy. It honestly... It honestly does not surprise me that places like that have this residual haunting. Every time I say residual haunting, I want to smack myself. But that's what this is. You know, these places that are full of energy of these young people who often didn't have a choice in what was happening to them. And all of a sudden they're fighting a war that they don't really particularly understand And Pete, if you are still listening, I would love to hear more of your real life ghost stories that you've collected over the years, genuinely. And story number two comes from Jen. I am mostly a sceptic, but I do listen to my gut feelings and believe that we can't explain everything. Before my parents split up, we lived in the desert in California. My dad would buy newly built homes and do upgrades, landscape, etc., and then sell the house and move on. So none of the houses we lived in were lived in before. This first story happened when I was around seven. We had one lone yucca in our front yard. They aren't large, but I could see it from my room. I often stayed up late reading with a flashlight. I felt like someone was watching me and looked out to see this old, decrepit-looking miner, complete with pickaxe. He rushed towards my window with an angry roar and passed through it and the wall and I dove under the covers with the mindset that if I can't see him, he can't see me. I don't know if he ever came back. After that, I always read under the covers. Now after seeing the Scooby-Doo movie, all I can picture is that minor ghost, that caricature, so now it makes me laugh. But at the time, it was quite terrifying. The next thing happened in a completely different house after my parents had split, and I was now 16. As my mom worked two jobs and my younger brother was always at friends' houses, I was home alone a lot. We had two cats, one super sweet, and one badass Manx who would take on neighbourhood dogs and win, and one terrier mix dog. I was just watching TV when the terrier started growling. I figured a coyote got into the yard and would go away, But then the cats started hissing and they were looking into the den that was dark, not at the back door which I knew was locked. The den looked darker than usual and the porch light didn't illuminate much through the glass of the door. I felt a chill go up my spine and I got massive goosebumps as a cold wave of terror filled my chest. I started backing up and my sweet cat backed up to my legs still hissing and the terrier backed up heckles raised. But my manx Fred stood his ground, so I grabbed him and my little cat and yelled for the dog and we booked it to my mom's room, because I was ever a practical child and her room had a lock on the door and a bathroom, and she usually had snacks. 
I slammed and locked the door behind me, stuffed a towel into the crack under the door and jumped into the middle of the bed and started praying. The little cat snuggled into my lap. The other cat and dog stayed by the door, crouched down, both growling and snarling for about an hour. Then they both just acted like nothing happened. I stayed there in her room, watching TV and munching snacks until she came home. The house felt calm again. Nothing ever happened like that there to me again. When I went off to college, I was on campus late one night, just enjoying the night on the bridge over the campus parkway. It was during a semester break, so there were a few people on campus. When I got chills and the sensation that I was being watched, I saw no one in the parking lot to the side of the bridge. On the other side was a small hillside with small cottages that served as department offices. A small road ran alongside them and further on to the bell tower and a wide flight of steps. I looked up and saw a figure all in black, stopped on the road and staring my way. At first I thought nothing of it, but then when it started walking my direction, but on the road above, I got a wee bit apprehensive. And that turned to full-fledged fear when I caught glimpses of the figure between the houses and realised it was still staring at me and that in a matter of moments it would reach the other end of my bridge. I waited until it passed behind the last house and I ran flat out down the bridge across the parkway and up the steps until I reached the road atop the hill before I turned and looked back. The figure was standing where I had been and I could feel the angry glare. I ran back to my room and did not venture out alone that night. I heard from other friends later about black-robed figures on campus and that several of the men started a group offering the ladies safe escorts to their dorms if they had to be on campus late after that. I have had minor other experiences, but these are the most memorable and that have stuck with me. Also, I made a family rule when my kids were little that if they were at a sleepover and anyone brought out a Ouija board, they were to call me and wait outside for me to come and get them. You know what, Jen? It's not a bad rule. It's not a bad rule at all. And your kids would be the ones that would survive the horror movie, right? Because they'd be like, I'm not getting involved in this in the first place, okay? I'm not doing this. No, I'm not playing the Ouija board. No, I don't think it's going to be fun. No, I'm going to ring my mom. I'm going to wait outside and she's going to come and get me, okay? And then the horror movie ensues and your kids are sitting at home eating snacks and watching cartoons, completely oblivious to all of the horror that's happening to all their other friends. It does sound like your spidey sense is particularly in tune. Do you know, like the first time with the minor ghost, and I understand the Scooby-Doo almost caricaturish, and now you're like, haha, a minor ghost, eh? But it sounds like your intuition that somebody is watching you is really, really strong, because you had that intuition when you were reading your book, and then you looked out and saw the minor ghost running, screaming towards the house. Enough of that, please. And I suppose when you're out in the middle of the desert, like you don't know what's happened on that piece of land. I know that they're all new build houses, but like you don't know what's happened there in the years previously. And I always think that deserts are weird places, especially places like the desert in California. And I know this is probably going to sound really sensationalized, but in my head, I always think that those big expanses of nothing are actually relatively close to various civilizations, right? So various settlements, towns, villages, cities, whatever it is. And you can go out into the middle of the desert and do whatever and nobody is probably going to come across you and nobody is going to know. That freaks me out a little bit about deserts. And then again, with whatever it was that, you know, 
made the den particularly dark and made the animals all react. The animals reaction is the really weird thing about that story. And it always freaks me out when animals have that really visceral reaction to something that you can't quite see. But I love the image of you sitting just terrified but still munching snacks on <laughs> on your ma's bed. Do you remember that time everybody was freaking out about clowns and, you know, clown clowns with knives that were popping up everywhere, which was genuinely happening. You know what I mean? Like people were genuinely dressing up as clowns and chasing after people with knives and whatever. If this was like a similar thing where like somebody was dressing up with a black robe in order to scare people, like I just think that sort of stuff is so frustrating because I understand that people do these things as a joke, right? And they think, oh, this is this is funny and I can I can do this and, and you know, it'll freak people out and people will be talking about it. But it really scares people, especially people who like live on their own. Like it really, really scares people. But then that's coming from the person who literally I can't I can't even cope with like prank videos. They I've just find them very, very stressful. <laughs> and story number three comes from Bronwyn. Years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I started an online relationship with an Irish man named Tom. I'm American. We met in an online relay chat room back when the internet was just getting started. For four years, we carried on a very tumultuous but passionate long-distance relationship. I lived with him in Dublin for a short time. Tom was a computer programmer. He was a deeply troubled but intellectually brilliant person. He suffered very traumatic abuse as a child and bore deep emotional scars as a result. He was extremely socially awkward and had difficulty forming friendships. He could be somewhat sadistic and cruel at times. Despite all of this, or maybe because of it, we had an insanely intense sex life. Eventually, we broke up and went our separate ways. The breakup was extremely traumatic and acrimonious, but gradually I moved on. Eventually, I married and started a family. I always wondered what happened to Tom and wondered whether maybe he had eventually taken his own life because I knew how tortured his soul was. I heard from him in 2001 after the 9-11 attacks and after that radio silence. Nothing. My husband and I had moved back to the United States from Scotland in 2012. We bought a house and a few years later we started experiencing strange phenomena in the house. My husband and I both saw shadows in the hallways. Occasionally, I would see what appeared to be human-shaped shadows in my peripheral vision. One evening, I was sitting outside on the patio having a cigarette. The patio, which was situated just outside the kitchen door, was dark. The kitchen light was on, but the blinds were drawn. Just then, I saw the shadow of a man from the waist up pass in front of the kitchen window. I saw the shadow glide across the room from behind the blinds. I knew it couldn't have been my husband because no one was able to walk between the window and the dining room table. The space was very small and the table was nearly touching the wall. But not only that, it was a half shadow. I could only see the shape of a man from the waist up. Below that there was just nothing. I knew no human could create such a shadow. It creeped me out but I just brushed it off as my imagination. One evening my family and I were in the dining room having dinner. Our children were very young, maybe three and five, and were going around the table talking about our favourite things. What's your favourite animal? My favourite animal is a tiger. What's your favourite colour? My favourite colour is blue. My daughter, who was three, pointed to an empty chair at the table and said, 
What's his favourite colour? My husband and I were stunned into silence. Toys would just come to life on their own. My kids had a stuffed toy in the shape of a kitten that made meowing sounds. This damn thing kept going off at random times and I couldn't get it to stop. It would go off constantly. On one occasion I woke from sleep in the wee hours of the morning and thought to myself, thank God that damn cat toy is finally quiet. And at that exact moment the damn thing went off. I knew then that something was messing with me, but I had no idea who or what it could be. It was around me, aware of my thoughts, etc. Needless to say, this scared the shit out of me, and the next day I threw the cat toy in the wheelie bin. Then, one night, I had an extremely vivid dream about Tom. He was standing in our bedroom, and he was as real and as solid as any human. My husband lay beside me in bed. I hadn't seen Tom in so many years and I had forgotten what he looked like, how tall and slender he was. There was no conversation. He didn't say anything. We just proceeded to have sex and it was mind-blowingly passionate. Just as it was when we were together. We had the most amazing sex while my husband lay there next to me. I know how bizarre that sounds. Nevertheless, the experience was so real that I never told my husband about it, never told any close friends. In a sense, I really felt like I cheated on my husband that night, although I didn't really have much say in what was happening. I definitely still enjoyed myself. After that night, all the strange occurrences stopped. No more shadows, no more strange noises or anything else. Everything just went back to normal. Whatever had been teasing and tormenting us had left. I tried to ascertain whether Tom did in fact die and then visit me after death for one last romp in the sack but I've never been able to verify it. He has an extremely common name for an Irish guy. He's impossible to find on the web. He was always extremely careful about protecting his information online, and I haven't heard anything from him since 2001. I have a feeling that he died somehow, perhaps by his own hand, perhaps not, and that he came to visit me one last time before moving on to wherever it is they go. I guess eventually I'll find out for sure. No, stop, Bronwyn, I want to find out for you. I want to help you find out whether this man passed away or not. And I don't even mean in the sense of, like, finding out whether he had sex with you or not. You know, I mean in terms of just just for knowing, just for life closure, to know that this person that you had a very tumultuous but passionate relationship with, you know, whether or not he is still in Dublin... Obviously, it doesn't sound like the relationship was fundamentally a positive relationship. And I'm glad that after you broke up, you were able to move on and to get married and move on with your life, basically. But also, I think it's kind of very emotionally mature, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word that I want to use. And I don't want to say that and sound patronizing, but to recognize that the relationship was deeply troubled. You know, and not to idealise and romanticise the relationship, but to also recognise that there were good bits to it too. I do think it's fascinating that all of the issues in the house that were not just confined to you. You know, your husband obviously was seeing things. Your little girl potentially was seeing a man sitting at the table. You saw the shadow of a man or the half shadow of a man pass by. Like these things were happening and then they stopped happening after you had a dream that you had sex with your ex-lover 
And look, you know, I bet you there's loads of people that are out here having sex dreams with ghosts, but being too afraid to say anything. Bronwyn, you're paving the way. You're opening the door for people to be talking about this stuff. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Pete, Jen and Bronwyn for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from the 26th of October, 2022. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for extra content, you can subscribe to our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time.